preach what God has said and not just what we want. And so, uh, and then we also get to blame the text when we just come to, to hard things. We're like, hey, this is what Jesus says, this is where it takes us, we just play it where it lies. And so I was making a joke because we have this thing on our website where if you're, you're checking us out and you want to plan a visit and let us know you're coming, you can click on that and fill out a form. And so late last night, I got an email saying, uh, this, uh, this couple that we, my wife and I had met recently were joining us. And I was like, hey, they're, they're coming to check us out. And she's like, oh, cool. And she's like, and another friend of ours is coming today too. And she's like, and you're talking about lust, right? And I was like, yeah. And she was just kind of laughed. And so um, if you've been around a while, you know, there's a couple things that, that I'm particularly passionate about um, personally, and it comes out in our preaching and, and has really been an emphasis for our ministry um, here at The Journey. And that one of that is, is, you know, care for the vulnerable children, foster care, adoption, those sorts of things. And then and this would be the other one, um, um, lust and, and the issue of, of pornography and, and that um, sort of thing. It's part of my own story, and I've been open about that. And um, it's been good. God has used that to, I think, allow me to have conversations and walk with other men and, and women that, that have gone through similar things as myself, but it's also been really um, tragically sad at how common stories of, you know, being molested at a young age or being exposed to pornography at a young age has led to bondage as an adult, and, and so um, all of that's just a reality, and Jesus is, uh, is coming at the heart of these issues today. So whether you have a personal connection to this or not, and I would bet that most of us do, um, we can just acknowledge that culturally there is, there, there is a sexual um, revolution that is happening, and, and by that I mean God's design for sex, gender, and marriage is being um, attacked and undermined by culture and movements, and, and, and that, that's playing out in a lot of different ways, right? We've got pronoun battles, we've got um, legal battles about marriage, we, we've got um, all sorts of things, bathrooms, you know, and high schools, I mean, locker rooms, I mean, you, you guys know there's just like all sorts of of issues. And then you go, you know, maybe another layer deep, and we know about human trafficking, right? Sex trafficking around the world where young children are taken from their homes, particularly in impoverished country, and sold into slavery, right? We have the abortion issue. And, and, and those are all super important issues. And we as Christians need to care about them, know about them, and, and be active in fighting against that darkness. However, Jesus today is, is not going to be dealing with that fruit. He's going right for the root of an issue that is actually fueling all of those things. Because if we're just going to worry about those implications and results of, uh, you know, the, the wickedness that, is, that has gone on in our hearts towards sexuality, then we're just going to be pruning fruit and, 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 and treat, you know, trimming all of that, those branches all our life. Jesus says, no, no, let's just go right to the heart of the deal. And that's what he does in this passage today. And that's really what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount. It sounds like when Jesus says a thing like this, hey, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm here to tell you, you can't, you can't lust either because when you've lust, you've, you've already committed adultery in your mind. It sounds like Jesus is just raising the bar to an unrealistic level, doesn't it? Anybody remember re hearing this for the first time and being like, whoa. I don't know if I can be a Christian, right? That seems unrealistic. You can't lust at all. And especially if you're saved later in life, you're like, whoa, I, like that one, I guess we'll just have to not talk about that one. That's what a lot of churches have done, right? We just won't talk about that. We'll file that right over in the same one as gluttony, right? That's uncomfortable and unrealistic, so we'll just put that over here. Right? Like that, that, that can be how it is. But, but what Jesus is doing is, is not trying to tighten down the screws and get more out of us religiously. It's saying, yeah, you got to follow these rules and here's some new ones, right? I'm going to crank it up even higher. No, no. Jesus is saying, I'm coming for your hearts. I'm coming not just to get some external behavior modification out of you. I'm coming to set you free. Set you free 
from anger. I'm not just worried about murder. I want to set you free from the anger that brews within you that leads to murder. I'm going to set you free. Same here. So I'm not just worried about adultery. Yeah, that matters a lot. But I'm coming to set you free. You remember the Sermon on the Mount is, is sandwiched in between these proclamations in the book of Matthew that the kingdom is here. Now, that word kingdom just kind of gets religiosity or whatever. I don't know it's a terrible word, but you know what I mean. It just gets churchified. We're like, okay, cool, the kingdom of God. No, no, the kingdom is a conquering kingdom. What that means is Jesus has come to launch war. He's come to pick a fight with the enemy to take back what is his and to set the captives free. It's an awesome scene in Luke chapter 4. Jesus leaves the desert goes and gets baptized, and then walks in, like I'm, I'm summarizing, but this is where he's about to launch his ministry. He spends 40 days in the desert fighting the battle that Adam lost. So many beautiful correlations. Jesus, Adam failed, and we all suffered the result of that. Okay, I know maybe I'm being kind of high theological here, but I, you know, that we all sin because Adam failed in the garden. Jesus goes back to face the same enemy, the same temptations that Adam faced, except he wins. So he spends 40 days in the desert, fighting the, the enemy, and then he gets up from the desert, goes straight to be baptized, and then launches his ministry. And there's this awesome moment when he rolls up into town, rolls up into a synagogue, a Jewish church, right? And he takes the scroll, and he reads from Isaiah. And the passage that he reads is, hey, the, the time of the Lord is upon us, has anointed me to come and to, to preach Freedom to set the captives free to those who are oppressed, to those who are in chains, to, to give the blind sight, to give the sick healing. I've come to set the captives free. The kingdom is here. Matthew sandwiches the Sermon on the Mount in between these proclamations that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then the Sermon on the Mount paints a picture for us. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom. So Jesus is not tightening down the screws. Jesus is breaking the doggone chains. Okay? So you need to know that. That's the heart of this passage. Okay? That's the heart of this passage. And if you're honest, you know we need this. Because you know there's a cosmic battle going on. Yes, there's all these cultural, cultural you know, battlefronts that I named earlier. But behind all that, it's, it, there's, a, there's a war for the souls of humanity. And I don't think there's a clearer place or a more obvious battleground than this issue right here of sexuality, of sexual temptation, and of lust. So Jesus is coming right for that. Mark chapter 7, Jesus, this is such a beautiful but obvious thing in, in, in chapter 7. I think I just got part of it on there that Mark will throw up on the screen for us, but, but Jesus is saying, hey, we need to worry about what is going on inside of a person. We're not just worried about external you know, following of rules. Because that's, what, that, that's, that's what's behind this whole, you've heard it said, but I tell you. It, it, Jesus isn't correcting the Old Testament. Okay, see, right here in verse 27, it says, hey, you've heard it said, you shall, not, you shall not commit adultery. Well, that's not wrong, okay? So Jesus is not correcting that. He's not throwing it away. But he says, I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her heart. With these, he says this six times in this passage that I, you've heard it said, but I say to you, what he's doing is, is saying, hey, here's, the, here's what the law says. Sometimes he's quoting directly from the Old Testament. Sometimes he's quoting from a, a, a cultural interpretation of that, but he's never correcting the Old Testament saying, oh, God got that one wrong. I'm here to you know, uh, submit 
a rewrite of version two. No, no, he's saying this is the right interpretation of that. So Jesus is correcting a wrong interpretation and application of the Old Testament law because what they had done is reduced it to say, hey, you just can't commit adultery. Adultery means you can't sleep with somebody who's not your spouse. So as long as you're not doing that, we're good. Never mind the fact that God actually forbid or forbade uh, adult or lust in the final commandment, you shall not covet, right? Don't covet your, your neighbor's house, don't covet your neighbor's wife, don't co- covet their, their workers, their cars, you know, it's camels and uh, you know, animals and stuff, but the same kind of thing, right? So he, he worried about the, the heart all the way back in the 10 commandments, uh, but, but they're gonna you know, just choose to ignore that. So they have this wrong understanding of what God meant when he said you shall not commit adultery, and that's what Jesus is coming at. And we get a little bit more, um, you know, insight into Jesus's heart in Mark chapter seven in a similar passage when he says, hey, what defiles a person is within? He called the people to him, Mark seven fourteen, and, and, and said to them, hear me, all of you who, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about this, right? So if you've ever um, read the Bible and been like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about, Jesus. Anybody? You're not alone. Okay. Disciples are like, that was a cool talk, Jesus. Can you help us out? I can imagine they just all had smiles on their face when he was teaching it. Oh yeah, that's good. That's good. No idea. Right. So they just ask him, Hey, uh, what, 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 what do you mean? Right. What was that parable about? And he says, then you also are without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Okay, when the Bible uses the word heart, it's talking about the inner part of our being that makes decisions, that feels, that weighs, that chooses. Right? Um, it, it's it's not talking about the the, the pump of, of the the blood pumper in here. It's it's talking about our innermost being, where where our our, our source of our life, the source of our morals, the source of our emotions, and 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 all of that exists. And so he says, hey, when you when you take something in, right, it just goes into your stomach and it comes back out. That's not what really defiles you. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, for from within, listen to this, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, and all these things come from without, and they defile a person. If you're here wondering what this Christianity thing is about, it is not about a list of rules. It's not about behavior modification. It is about heart change. Not heart change. This whole context of this sermon is Jesus saying, hey, the prophets have been telling you. The law has been telling you before the prophets. So in the Old Testament, God gave the law. We're familiar with the Ten Commandments. There's about 600 others, right? So the law serves a purpose to make sure you know how bad you are a sinner. Micah talked about that earlier in communion. We, We are sinful people. The law makes that clear. But the prophets, these people that that God had sent to talk to his people about their judgment because they haven't held up the law, have also been saying, but one day God's going to come and do something about it. He's going to come and do something about the sin that, that, that prevents us from obeying the law. And what he says, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, they each talk about this, this idea that God is coming for our hard hearts because that's the root of the issue. He says, I'm going to take them out. I'm going to put in a heart of stone. This connects the dots to Jesus being talked about being born again, right? New birth. 
Anybody heard something like that? What, what do you mean you got to be born again? You know, again, the Bible is superhuman, and it's, and it's like you, you will find people to relate to because Jesus is talking about that, and a guy goes, wait, Jesus, I don't think my mom's going to be okay with me like trying to get back inside of her belly. I'm a, I'm a big man now, right? How's that going to go? And Jesus is like, no, no, I'm not talking about physical rebirth. I'm talking about a, a, a heart transformation a heart transplant. I'm talking about taking out what's evil within you and putting in a new heart within which has a software update, right? Our new language. And the, and the law is written within that causes us to want to obey, to long to obey God from inside out instead of from outside. And so that's what's going on in this passage when Jesus is talking about anger, when he's talking about lust, when he's talking about divorce, he's coming at the root of the issue, the deeper thing. And so that's what's behind his teaching here in Matthew 5. And it is no different when it comes to lust. So that, that's, that's the, the context there. He says, he says a very bold statement. It's not just about adultery, but I'm here to tell you, verse 28, anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. So what does that mean? What is he talking about? What, what exactly is lust? What exactly is Jesus condemning here? Can we not look at attractive people at all, right? Is it looking that Jesus is condemning? No, it's looking with lustful intent. And we all know the difference. We know the difference. Now, I will admit to you, there was a time where I was so entangled in my sin and so programmed and influenced by my struggle with pornography that I didn't think there was a difference. I didn't think that I could see and acknowledge beauty without it being attached to lust because I was so entangled in that sin. But praise God, I know that now, and, and I, I can experience that, and I can, I can acknowledge and see beauty without it being tied to this lust, but it took, it's going to take drastic measures, as we're going to see later, that Jesus calls us to. Drastic measures, because this, this issue is so defiling to us, Jesus says, that it actually changes how we operate. It changes, uh, our, 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 there's, there's all kinds of science, now we'll look at that in just a second, about the effects of lust and pornography on the brain. It's not just this innocent thing, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But Jesus is saying, that, no, I, to, to look with lustful intent means that you're looking and not just saying, oh, that's an attractive person, but, but you're saying, ooh, I, I want to have sex with that person. I, I want, I'm, you're, you're dreaming about, you're fantasizing, you're, you're saying, oh, I, I want that. It's not mine, I'm not married to this person right, that I'm looking at, but I, but I want that, and you're undressing them in your mind, you're, you're fantasizing about it, we all, we, we know, but I just want to be explicit, there's a difference between looking and looking lustfully, but you might say, well, does that really matter, is, that, is it really harmful, anybody heard, like, maybe you've made this argument, is it, is, it, is it really harmful if we're just looking, I've shared with you before that when I was working in the retail space, I was at Home Depot in a suburb of St. Louis, and I worked with this gentleman, and we were at the flooring desk, and man, he'd point out every attractive woman that walked by, and, and, and I just, you know, I wouldn't entertain it. And, and eventually I built an inner, uh, you know, relationship with him where I could explain like, hey man, I'm, I'm just, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ogle with you. And he's like, oh, what's it matter? And, and he was very clear, like, I'm not hurting anything. I'm not hurting her. And he would say, as long as I'm going home to my wife, and he would even be so explicit to say, as long as I'm thinking about my wife, or as long as I'm with my wife, what's it matter who I'm thinking about? He was so explicit to say that. And I'm like, man, you are being robbed of the joy that God has given you in marriage. You're being robbed of the, even the pleasure that God has given you in marriage. So we need to make that clear real quick. 
Jesus is not saying that sexual desire is wrong. He's not saying that sex is, is wrong. Okay, D.A. Carson, I think, puts it this way. He says, uh, you know, uh, God is speaking into this idea of sex, and the world says, anytime, any place, it's good, do what you want. God says, no, 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 it's good, but it's on my time and in my place. And God's time and place is within marriage, between a man and a woman. It is this good gift. That, that's, what, that's what sex is. It, it's not wrong. It's not to be avoided. Churches that have just said, okay, you know, you know it's a bad thing and it's really yucky, but you know, do it when you have to. You, know, right? you want to make some kids? That's wrong. Right? The Song of Solomon is not allegory. Right? It, is, it is a declaration of, of beauty and freedom within the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman who are covenant with one another. So we just need to be clear that that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. God's saying, no, no, it's a good thing, but it's on my time and in my place. But it, listen, it's also not an ultimate thing. Okay? And that's part of the issue with our culture is we've been, sex has become so, some, it's a commodity. We're going to look at some stats for about pornography in just a minute, but it's become such a, a commodity that the, the implications of this are so far-reaching that, man, particularly our young people are programmed into think in such a way that their value is in their sex. And if they're attractive, if they do it, then they have value, right? Like, there's a lot of times that us, and I think I'm on the, the I'm, you know, get, I know I'm still a young preacher to, to many of you, but I'm getting on the older side where I'm, there's this disconnect between me and the teens and, and just the generational gap there. And there's a lot of times that us, that we're on the other side and we think, oh man, um, I just can't imagine the struggles that these students are going through today. It's just so much different than when I was young. And I think sometimes that's really not as big of a deal as, as, as we you know, imagine it to be. I think sometimes it just, it's just the same struggle in different packages. But I think when it comes to this issue, it's totally different. And it is hard to overstate, even from my generation growing up, to what students are going on now. Because, man, the average age of a, of a young person being exposed to pornography, they say it's like, I think I'll still say 13, but that's real high from my experience. Kids are being exposed younger and younger because used to you had to find you know, somebody with a stash, right? A dad who had a stash of magazines. And now, listen, it's right here. Right? It, it is easier, John Piper says, to access pornography than it is to get up and go make a sandwich. It's easier for, for our kids to access sexually explicit images than it is for them to go get a snack out of your pantry. And there's a correlation. Because there's, there's an appetite. There's craving, right? There's curiosity. And so we need to be aware of that. And we need to know that. And so when we, when we come to this issue of lust, we need to know that the reason that God gives us this command, he's not trying to take from us, okay? We say this often, but it's really important. When God gives us law, when he gives us rules, he's a good father, and a good father is never trying to take our fun away, okay? That's how, the guy that I worked with at Home Depot, that's what, he, that, that's what it sounded like to him. Oh, you're just trying to take the fun out of life. No, no, man. God's trying to lead me to life. God's trying to lead you to life. Because when you're fantasizing about somebody else, you're taking away from the pleasure and the joy that God has given you right there in your marriage bed. 
So God is, is, is a good father trying to lead us to life, not take away our fun. He cares about this. And this is not a new thing. Jesus isn't coming on the scene. It was the first time anybody's talked about heart issues. Again, I said, I already said Exodus 20, 17, right? Right there in the Ten Commandments, it says you shall not covet and your neighbor's wife is in the list. What does that mean? You're not supposed to fantasize and wish you had and think about it that way. Right then, he's worried about the heart. Proverbs chapter 6, 25 says this, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. The Proverbs 5 and 6, really 7, are, there's, there's, a, there, those, there's at least three Proverbs that are entirely devoted to a dad teaching his son how to avoid sexual immorality. Dads, how many conversations have you had with your kids about how to avoid sexual immorality? Okay, and again, we're hitting at a part of the problem. There is a huge war for the souls of humanity. And I just, I just pricked at part of the issue. Because when we don't let this speak into what sex is, when we don't let God define marriage and what's good and what's bad, when we let the culture do that and the church is either silent or just flat out wrong or oppressive, when we don't teach God's good gift and the right approach to that gift in the church and we don't teach it in your home, why are we surprised when there's all kinds of wickedness happening? Why are we surprised whenever kids are going to sleepovers at eight and nine years old and showing each other pictures, showing each other videos, or maybe worse, okay? We have to take responsibility to let God's word define how we view sex and then how we teach that, train that, shape that down line, okay? So Proverbs 6.25 says, don't, don't, don't desire her beauty in your heart, right? So that, that's, that doesn't say don't, in, don't acknowledge her beauty. It says don't desire her beauty in your heart. That's the difference between looking and looking lustfully. Right? Don't let her capture you with her eyelashes. This is talking about a, um, a sexually inviting, right? This is an adulteress he's warning against. It's personifying a whole issue of lust. It's not talking about one particular woman in town. It's personifying the, the culture, Satan's invite, right, into this, this world of sexual bondage. And that's, that's part, that, that's, listen, over and over again with the enemy, but perhaps nowhere as clear as here, the enemy offers us something. He tells us how wonderful it is. Right? Go, go back to the Garden of Eden. If you don't know the story in Genesis 3, God has, has given them this wonderful world with all of these yeses. Okay? We, we remember the one no. We, you, you rewind a little bit. God gave them a whole world of yeses. Go, enjoy. I made it all for you. It's awesome. Enjoy. Eat it, right? And cultivate it. Have fun. Enjoy. But there's one, there's one no. Don't eat that tree. What does Satan come at? The one no. And how does he come at it? By trying to entice us with its beauty, right? So he says, hey, has God really said you, you can't eat any of these trees? I'm like, no, we can eat these trees, but just not that one. Oh, he doesn't want you to have that one. That's the real good one. This is my paraphrase. Hey, but this is what he's getting at. It's the real good one. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to experience that one. So then all of a sudden you see this shift in Eve. Oh, it is desirable. It is enticing. It, it does look good. Why wouldn't God want me to have that? Why well, doesn't want you to have it because it's going to kill you? Well, I mean, it won't kill me. Surely you won't. Sure, that's what Satan says. You won't surely die. He's just holding out. 
No, no, listen. God says it will kill you. There's another proverb that says, listen, who could, carry, who could carry fire against their chest and not get burned? The answer is nobody, right? It doesn't go well. You can't carry fire and you're, you're like, you know, you can't pick up the, the fire that's happening in your fire pit or your fireplace and go, you know, I'm going to move this to this other side. No, you're going to get all kinds of burn. That's what God's doing here with this, this warning. And so when it, when it comes to this issue, that, that's how Satan is going to come at us and say, well, listen, it's, it won't really kill you, right? It won't really take that away. So, you know, it's not that big a deal. A little looking won't hurt. Okay, uh, real quick. Also in the Old Testament, Job chapter 31 starts out saying, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman lustfully, right? How can I gain, how can I gaze at a virgin, right? He, he's getting at this issue. And then he talks about later in that chapter how his, his, if, his, if, his, uh, if his body or his mind has, has followed after his heart. So he's saying, if I've got this issue going on where I'm lusting, like, then that's going to lead to my actions. James outlines the same thing, right? That, that, our, that God's not tempting anybody, but that's born within us with our desires. Our desires get out of control and they, they, they lead us to these actions. And so all throughout the scripture, God has cared about what's going on in our hearts and how it leads us to sin because he's a good God and he cares about us. And he knows that if lust is, is harbored and unchecked, it will destroy lives. It's really easy to see how adultery destroys lives. Some of you, that's part of your story, right? Your family was, you know, when, as a kid, there was adultery. There was an there was affair that shattered your family. Some of you, that's part of your personal story. Like, it, it destroys lives. Jesus is saying, yeah. And that came to fruition when this issue was allowed to go unchecked and harbored in our hearts. And listen, our world is under siege in a way that it's, I, I, I don't think it's overstating to say, I, I don't think any generation of humanity, though there's always been sexual struggles, has faced this level of saturation in our world. All right, a couple stats here. Mark, you got me on, on some of those first slides there. I changed the order on you. Um, just a quick note. This is also why um, adultery carries the death penalty back in Leviticus. Okay. You don't think your sexuality, what you do with your body matters. God says, I'm so serious about it. And, and hear this, I'm so serious about your joy. I'm so serious about you flourishing that when there's adultery, we're going to have to put that person to death. Primarily so that the rest of us take, take heed. Right? That's an Old Testament law. That, that's, that's how serious God was about this. So let's look, let's look at where we're at today. Uh, listen, I, I've linked several resources in your app, um, and I'll cite a couple of them at the end. But one of them, Covenant Eyes, has just a plethora of statistics. Like, it crossed, I didn't even know what to share with you guys. It's so overwhelming, like, the amount of statistics that they had. I was like, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to share. So, but just a couple, just a, just a few here. Here's where we're at today. 35% of all internet downloads are porn-related. That's everything. That's sports, that's business, that's self-help. 35% are related to porn. Like, that's a lot of information. Every second, it's an estimated 28,258 people are watching porn. And like $3,000 a second is spent. It's one of the, it's the most, it's the highest grossing industry. I don't know if it's still true, but at one point it was higher grossing than the NFL, NBA, and MLB combined. I don't know if that's still true, but I'm sure it's way up there. Um, 
And, and it's not the world's problem exclusively. Christians, we struggle. Among Christians, 64% of men and 15% of women admit to viewing porn monthly or more. Um, those stats go up the younger the generation is. So I just kind of picked a round general, but you go to the 18 to 34, that goes up significantly. You go down, you go, get, go down even you know, below that, the amount of exposure and the likelihood of that just keeps going up the younger the generation is. And what you're going to see here is this, this is mostly a man problem, but the stat that's growing is the women. More and more women are becoming addicted to porn. I, I think right now, I think men are like 543% more likely to use pornography than women, but that is a growing stat. And that is related to the exposure, that is related to curiosity. And listen, some of the stats they talk about is people cited this, that kids looked up stuff, kids, kids looked up stuff. Why? Because they were curious. Okay, sometimes it was, a, it, was a, it was a friend that showed them. Sometimes it was exposure to some really unhealthy molestation that started them down their journey. Other times, it's just a vacuum in the home and in the church, and the world's talking about this thing called sex, and a kid goes, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to have it. And, it, like, and they, they just curiously look at it. We have to be aware of this, church. We, we cannot survive with our head in the sand. And this, I don't, I don't know where to put this, but we have to know this. As I said, one of the other things I care about is children. One of the things I'm passionate about, caring for vulnerable children. Men, you think your pornography use isn't hurting anybody? It all feeds this industry, this industry that is never satisfied, this industry that keeps going, this industry that, yeah, it leads to sex trafficking, to men paying to have their way with a young woman. But it, listen, that right there, the most popular category of sexual searches has the word youth in it. It's a, oh, it's a distortion of what God meant. And we should be infuriated. And whatever part we've played, we need to repent today. It stops now. No further will the enemy go amongst here. I will, not, I will not ignore this issue. Right? Like, this is, this is crazy for us to go, well, it's not that big a deal. It is. It is. If your heart's been broken by somebody being molested, it's related. It's related. You can't have a world of unchecked pornography and expect things not to get really twisted and distorted. It's ignorant. So that, that's burying your head in the sand. We have to care about this, and we have to push back the darkness. And it starts in our own homes and our own hearts. Man, I'm primarily talking to you. What kind of anger and passion would you do if somebody made a pass at your young daughter? That's good and right. You, let, you feel that right now. Same. Should be channeled into this issue. No tolerance for this. Go to the next step, the next slide. It's the impact of marriages. And again, this, I'm not even getting into like 
Kids are experiencing erectile dysfunction, dissatisfaction in marriage. I mean, it's all kinds of issues with our, with our young people. Let's just look at this, though, impact on marriages. This comes from like uh, um, a study against, uh, of, of just law and marriages where they've just polled divorces. 68% of the divorces uh, that they polled involved one party meeting someone else over the internet. 56% involved one party having an obsessive interest in porn sites. 47% involves spending excessive time on the computer. Just take that in reverse. One thing leads to another, okay? These, these impacts are, are, again, it's difficult to overstate. There's so many stats, so many sobering issues. Like, I, I can't even, we can't even go into it, but here is the deal. God says this in Matthew chapter 5 because he's not dumb, and he knows it leads to that, Okay? God's not foolish. He's not ignorant. We're not pulling anything over on him. He knows that our issues in private, in front of a screen or in front of our mobile phone leads to that. Don't think you're the exception. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. Okay? Listen, if you don't believe me, if you will open your ear to the culture, the voices that are speaking out against porn are, are, are growing. We have celebrities, right? Um, uh, let's see, I've got a list of them here. So uh, I found, like just the other day, uh, singer Billie Eilish, right, popular young woman, she's talking about how, she, she's her quote, porn destroyed my brain. She's on Howard Stern's radio show. Perversion lives there, right? She's on there saying, pornography destroyed my brain. Not a Christian, just saying it messed her up. Russell Brand, I don't know if, if you don't know who I'm talking about, he, You'd recognize him, right? Squirrely fella, right? Mostly talking about nonsense. Mostly is a nonsense character in films. However, more and more videos, more and more articles, he's talking about, hey, this is not good for us. Not a Christian, not good for us, right? He would say the same thing. It leads to bondage. It distorts. Theo Vaughn, also far from a Christian, same thing. I avoid pornography because it messes up my sexual relationship, right? Kanye West, we don't know what to make of him, that whole deal, but nonetheless, saying this is an issue. He said at one point, it, it informed every decision he made from the moment he got exposed at like eight. Um, one of the more, I don't know where this guy's heart stands before the Lord, but there's some real insight and power in his story. A guy named Terry Crews, a big, big jacked um, African-American actor. You'd recognize him, ex-football player, uh, played in a lot of stuff. And, and he talks about, like he had to go to rehab, pornography addiction. Okay, and here's why. Like, it matters because it changes how we view people. It changes how we view one another. It changes how we interact. It, it, it leads to all sorts of distortions, right? Un, like, ruined marital, marital expectations and sexual satisfaction, right? Unchecked desire. And, and here's, here's why. Because we're, we're coupling two very powerful things that are good gifts from God, but wrongly used they become idols and they become dangerous. So God has given us sex as a good thing. God has also given us money as a good and right thing. But when they get distorted and they become ultimate things, they both have the power to destroy lives, don't they? Listen, pornography is the collision of those two things. It's the, it's, it's, sex has become a commodity. It's, it's become a consumerization of 
what God has given us as a good gift has been turned into sex sales, right? And it's really hard to overstate that. So this is no longer just a conversation that's happening among Christians. There are other people having these conversations. And, and I think I, I started to make this point earlier, but one of the things we need to know, sex is, is, is becoming so attached to our value in this culture, in this society, that that informs how our young people see themselves and how they interact with others, how they put themselves out there. So one of the things we need to know if we're going to fight this battle healthily is that sex is not ultimate and it's not necessary for human fulfillment. Okay, because this becomes a problem too. So sometimes we think our option is just to fight the battle, struggle, 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 and then get married and marriage will fix it. If I asked for a show of hands, it would be many of how many men went into marriage thinking it would fix it and it did not. Men, right? It did not. Women, Okay, so that, that's not how this works. We have to decouple this issue. We don't just say, well, I've, I have these urges, these desires, and until I have a healthy outlet, this is the only, no, 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 no. You can be completely whole, completely fulfilled, completely happy without sex. You don't believe me? Ask Jesus himself. Well, that was Jesus. Of course, Jesus didn't need, no. It says he suffered every temptation, every desire that we had. He became fully man. And yet he was without sin. Paul, never married. Hey, they're not less than humans. Paul, in fact, says, hey, you've got a gift in, in, in singleness that married people don't. But the, but the good gift of sex is, is to be used, its power is to be turned on, and, and it's made to, to galvanize and to solidify and weld together the two souls that are, that are merged in covenant marriage. That's why sex is so powerful. Another one of the resources I shared with you on the app is a podcast that my wife and I did a, a year or two ago um, about taking back sex. And in that, we get into some of the science about what happens during sex and why it's addictive to be on pornography. Like, because, you know, when that pleasure happens, there's hormones going off. The one is obvious dopamine, pleasure. We know what happens there, right? But your body goes, ooh, that was awesome. How do I get that again, right? So you did that on a screen. Your body connects that to a screen now. That's real simple. But then beyond that, there's oxytocin, right? That's another chemical that gets released during that. What is that? Rob Landis calls it the hug chemical. It's this connection. It's the same chemical that's given when a mama is breastfeeding her baby between the two. It's a bonding, attaching agent. You're like, oh man, that's what happens when you're looking at porn and on, a, on a screen? Yeah, but flip that. That's what's the reason God made it. God's like, oh, he's not like, oh man, that really got away from me there. That was gonna be more powerful than I meant. No, 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 no. He's like, no, no. That's supposed to be turned loose in marriage. To bond the two together. The two become one flesh. So it's good and right, but it's not ultimate. So if you're here and you're struggling and you're single and you're like, I, I don't know. It's fine for married people, right? Maybe they can win this, but I, until I get there, like I'm just going to have to struggle. No, you don't. There's freedom for you as well. So we have to decouple this idea that our sexuality defines our value or our satisfaction or our fulfillment. Okay, a couple more things and we're going to finish with what Jesus said, the real practical stuff. So this commoditization of sex has a personal impact on us, specifically our young people, as I said. It teaches them that sex is their value. It's their currency, okay? You might, you might think that's an overstatement. I want you to just objectively look at social media with me, okay? How do you get attention? How do you get likes? How do you get popular? How do you get clicks on Instagram, TikTok, right? Snapchat, YouTube, 
The message our kids are hearing is you've got to be sexy to be noticed. Okay? So. we got some work to do to correct that message. And it ain't going to be one conversation with our kids. We're going to have to work so much harder to help our kids define to find their identity and their value in the Lord so that they're not destroyed by the stuff in the world. It will not be just one quick conversation, parents. It is going to be hard work, intentional shaping. It's more than just avoiding the images. We've got to do that. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But more than that, we've got to go after their heart. We said last week, we're talking about defending ourselves in revenge. We said when we're identified vertically, we don't have to defend ourselves horizontally. Okay? When we're identified in the Lord vertically, we don't have to, we're not, we don't have to feel this compulsion to defend ourselves horizontally when we're accused or wrongly persecuted. We can, we can just take it because we have our identity here. Like we have to have the same emphasis on our kids' hearts, our own hearts with the Lord. If we aren't defined and satisfied in the Lord, we will be pulled astray. We will get caught in this riptide. We will be affected and harmed by this issue. So, um, man, we gotta do something about it. Okay, and on that line, I, I wanna just talk to the ladies just real quick because I don't think the church historically has handled this real well. Many of you have grown up in church and you've been made to feel like a man's struggle with lust is your fault. And it's your responsibility to not wear revealing clothes and those sorts of things because you don't want to cause your brother to stumble. Okay. There is some truth. You need to, you need to consider your motives, and we'll get to that. But here's, here's the truth of the matter. It is not your responsibility to keep us from impurity. Ladies, you need to be free from this. It is not your responsibility to keep your brothers from stumbling. Men, it is your responsibility to stay pure. You really think you're going to get to heaven and get a pass because you, were, you grew up in the world of yoga pants? Is our culture so, it's everywhere. I can't avoid it, Lord, it's everywhere. No, it doesn't matter. He's not worried about what's everywhere. He's worried about what's in your heart. Men, you will be held accountable for your impurity, for your lust, period. Full stop. Okay? Full stop, man. Never did a woman ask for it. Have you ever heard that? That makes me so, like, oh, she was raped. Well, what was she wearing? It doesn't matter. Men, it's your job to protect them. Get them a blanket and tell them about Jesus, but do not take advantage of them. And it's easy to see when it's that physical, isn't it? Well, that's right, that's right. No, no, don't do it online either. So, ladies, at the same time, hear me now, fatherly, pastorally, as much as I can from the Lord, there is, there is some implication in the Greek there from, from Jesus' statement that said, looking, uh, looks at a woman lustful intent, um, th- that, that also kind of carries this double implication of of. of of causing someone to look at you with lustful intent. Okay? So, no, it's not your responsibility. However, you need to be objective and honest about why you wear what you wear and why you present yourself the way you do. Okay? Because there's a difference between making yourself attractive and making yourself sensual and sexy and calling for attention to places of your body that should only be 
called attention to in your bedroom, right? There's a difference. And listen, I get it. Those lines are going to be different for a lot of different people, and we can't, we, I'm not going to be able to give you this standard. But I don't need to. You can answer that question, or you can ask your family, hey, is this, is this drawing attention to the wrong place? Like, okay. Listen, I've heard women be condemned for like wearing a seatbelt or a strap purse. That's causing men to stumble. Okay, stop, man. Stop. Okay, but women, if you're dressing in such a way, it's obvious you're trying to get attention in that way. You're posting that picture, and it's obvious. You gotta repent of that. Okay, that, that's not okay. And, and, and here's the question I would ask you, sister. What desire are you trying to get met by putting that out there? Because rather than condemnation, what the Lord would have you hear is, hey, give me that. That broken place in your heart, that longing to be valued, that longing to, to, to be declared as beautiful. The world's told you you're not, so you're seeing if you could. Jesus says, hey, 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 I see you. You're mine, precious daughter. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. So the Lord's saying, hey, he's not just condemning you for your presentation out there to the world. He's saying, come to me. Come to me. Let, let me wrap you in new clothes. Let me, let me heal up your heart. That's where Jesus is going. Je Jesus freaked everybody out by going and hanging out with people who didn't dress like the church thought they should dress. You know that, right? Jesus went to places. They were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't you know what they do over there? Jesus is like, yeah, I do. And I'm coming to heal their hearts and set them free. He's not coming to say, oh, it's cool. Round on me at the strip club. No, that's not what he's doing. He's saying, I'm here because I care about these image bearers that are my children and I want to set them free. So women, men, and the same goes for men. Men, why are you, like, maybe you're dressing in such a way, you know, working out or showing out, like maybe you're trying to get attention. You got to check that. You got to be honest about that, that. What's, what's the motive behind the way you're putting yourself out there, okay? All right, let's move on, verse 29 and 30. What do you do about it now? Jesus, really, like I've spent some time going through the Bible and culture to tell you why it's a big deal. Now Jesus is gonna say, here's what you do about it. And listen, it is drastic and it is radical and you need to listen, okay? So Jesus said this, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, pluck it out, throw it away. Whoa, that's, what's he, what's he mean, Jesus? What's, She's got a little angry all of a sudden. My kid asked me earlier, my, my seven-year-old, she's turned seven a couple days ago. She goes, Daddy, why do you yell on stage? I don't know, baby. She goes, you got a microphone? I said, I don't know, baby. I'm, that's fair. That's fair. Right? But sometimes for a fact, Jesus says, your right eye caused you to sin. Pluck it out. Why? He says, it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. You stay in this perpetual sin. Your soul is in danger of hell. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. And if, you, and if your right hand causes you, listen, Jesus ain't dumb. Okay, the right side just spoke of more value to their culture. But Jesus says, your eye causes you to sin, plug it out. What else do you say? If your, hand, your right hand causes you to sin, 
Okay, connect those dots. I don't need to spell that out for you. He's saying, I, you know, the eye is, the root, is what causes this, the situation of lust. The, the hand is what is called to do something about it. He's saying, address those issues. Don't just tolerate it. It's not just natural. You can't get away with it. Explain it in a way until I get married. What a no, nope, it is not okay. Jesus says, your right hand causes you to sin. Cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Now, some of y'all are like, I mean, we're going to be mutilated fools. There's a, I think there's a guy, I think his name the Origin, way back in, in history, and uh, took this really literally. I mean, I think this guy used to like roll around in briars to just like try to oppress his uh, fleshly desires. And he took this too literally and emasculated himself. And then somewhat comedically later admitted he might have misinterpreted Jesus' words. <laughs> Yeah, you did, man. Okay, so what is he saying? He's not saying actually take your eye out. Actually cut your hand off. It's obvious because you just have another one of each, right? What he's saying is you need to be radical and drastic at getting rid of whatever causes you to sin. Be radical and drastic at whatever causes you to sin. Okay? He's practical. He knows it's our eyes, it's our hands. Like he gets it. He knows what leads to that bondage. Saying, you're better off to do without those things than to be in danger of hell. Okay, so you're like, well, what do I got to do? Well, what causes you to sin? You're like, well, I mean, I, I mean it's my phone, but I got to have my phone. No, you don't. We all survived without it. If it's your phone that causes you to sin, throw it away. If it's your computer, if it's this job, you know, if you're perpetually around something, like, this is saying nothing's off the table for, for dealing with this sin. You've got to quit your job. You've got to, you've got to throw away your phone. You've got, like, you, need to, you need to take drastic and radical measures to get rid of this sin. All right. We're going to come back to that and, be, and just have some practical um, implications here in a minute. And I think that's part of it. You're, you're, you're realizing you have this addiction you're gonna to have to lay it on the table and say, here's where I struggle, okay? For me, that was like, hey, I can't have access to the TV, to the phone, like I had to like, give my phone over to my wife years and years ago, say, okay, if I have this, it, it has to have this, this software on it, and these, you know, I can't download new apps, that I, I gotta put these, these parameters in place. I can't be, I had to say things like, I can't be left at home for a season by myself. That's humiliating as a man in his late, like, I don't know, mid-20s. I don't know how many years ago that was now. It's humiliating. But I knew I had to be free, so I had to lay all that out there. Okay, so, so you can't hold on to pride and fight this sin. Can you imagine walking around with your hand cut off when you say, well, I'm, they led me to sin. Like, it's drastic. That's what Jesus wants you to think about. It's, what you, it's how he wants you to look at this. Okay, but before we get to the practical things and resources, this is all going to move quickly here, but I want to I focus my last kind of major point is on what I think before you can get to there and start dealing with practical resources and how you avoid this sin, we have got to start with the first step that the Bible would say, how do you deal with sin? And that is confess it. Go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 32. I think I've got one verse from it on the screen, but I, as I read it, I was like, man, we need to set in, in the first portion of this together. Psalm 32, I want you to hear this from this perspective. And this is David, a man who had to repent of egregious sin. 
And he says this, Psalm 32, verse 1, he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Men, women, if you're addicted to this, and, and I know because I've been there, don't you long to be a person who has no deceit in you? Don't you long for that? I remember how freeing it was when I was no longer worried when my wife would pick up my phone. When I didn't have to ask, man, did I clear the history? A computer, right? Did I, did I, did I, did I clear the history? Did I get rid of all that, like, those search? Like, I remember that's how I had to live it. I had to hide these things. I had to watch the video. I had to delete it off the, right? That's just, that's this life of any addiction. Any addiction. You're hiding. It's where it has its power. In darkness, it has its power, right? C.S. Lewis talks about you don't deal with your sins. Those demons go to the basement of your soul and lift weights. They're just getting stronger. You got to deal with it. Put it in the light and it loses its power. This is the invitation of Psalm 32. You have to be confessing first to the Lord. Don't you long for that to be free to such a place that there's no deceit in you? David says this, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. They're my groaning all day long. You know this is true. You know you're, you're overwhelmed with guilt and shame. David gets it. And I kept silent. That's just the reality of it. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. If you're a Christian and you're in perpetual sin, the Lord's not going to leave you alone. He's going to bring conviction. He's going to bring his word. He's going he's to lay on you and invite you to repent. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And listen to this. You forgave all my sin. You forgave the iniquity, the evil, the depth of my sin. Some of you are so far into this that you don't know how you could be forgiven. You're not sure your wife or your husband could forgive you. You're not sure you could ever confess and get out all the darkness that was within you. But David says, you can. David had to confess to not only adultery, but murder and lying. Like lying that led to murder. He set his friend up, not just some general Uriah the Hittite was one of David's boys. Uriah the Hittite had laid down his life for David. David got in such a mess that not only did he get Uriah's wife pregnant, he went so far to cover it up that he had him killed. You wonder the shame that David felt there? Oh my gosh, if I tell this, what's the people going to think of me? What is my family going to think of me? But he said the only way to freedom is to get it out. So confess it. And the, the beauty and the glory of the gospel is that his grace is sufficient to forgive it all. What a, what a wonderful song it is well. It says, my sin, not in part, but the, he says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, because my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and there I bear it no more. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel that should overwhelm us, that it, whatever depth of sin you're there, give it to the Lord, and you can be forgiven. This is such good news. We must start by confessing it to the Lord. Secondarily, we must go on to confess it to others, to the right people. Right? The Bible talks about in 1 John, that if we're going to be a people that, that experience healing from our sins, that we have to uh, confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed and cleansed from all unrighteousness. And if we do it, he is faithful. You don't have to wonder Right? It's not about whether these people accept you. Your wife may leave you, and she may, like, she may be justified in that, but what you need to worry about is your primary stance before the Lord. Start there. 
And he says, if you confess, he's faithful. Faithful and just to forgive you. I really have to bring other people in? Yeah, you do. You gotta bring this into the light. You can't fight it alone. It'll eat you up. You'll lose. Okay? So confess to God and to the right people and then get the necessary help. Some of y'all are gonna need to go to counseling. Some of y'all are gonna need to go to counseling to deal with, with what happened to you as a child that led you into this dark place. Some of you guys might have to go to a treatment center. That's a reality. We don't, we don't balk at it when it's a substance, when it's, when it's alcohol, when it's drugs, right? Somebody has to go to rehab. This is equally addicting. You might have to do that. You gotta get the necessary help. You gotta be willing to do the work. So confess to God, confess to the right people. Be willing to get the necessary help. A couple of resources. I think I have these on a slide, Mark. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you just go to these websites. You, you can handle this, but I just want to point, you can do this on your own, but go check out Covenant Eyes. It's a resource. It's got all kinds of information and, and um, you know, literature on there, but it also has filters and accountability software that you can purchase for you and your family. It's awesome, super, it's worth the money. Let me just say this. If you're maxed out financially and you can't afford this, the church will pay for it for you, Okay. I think it's worth your personal investment and you need to feel that. But if that's really an issue, we got you. I would love to spend our money on protecting your family and helping you invest in this battle. All right, so um, it's not much, but accountable to you, same, same sort of stuff. So gotta be willing to do that. Cut it off, gouge it out. And here's the deal. Romans 13, 14 says this, make no provision for the flesh. We cannot be reactionary in this battle. I heard one pastor talking about it. It says, hey, why, um, why resist a temptation in the future that you have the power to eliminate today? That's powerful, isn't it? Why resist a temptation in the future that you have the power to eliminate today? Paul says, Romans 13, 14, don't make provisions for the flesh. What does that mean? Well, you know what? I get hungry here at work sometimes, so what do I do? I get some snacks. Got them. You go to my desk drawer right now. I got like almonds and Reese's cups. I got grapes in the fridge. Why? Because I get hungry. I have cravings. I know I need to provide for my flesh, right? Here's the deal. When you're in addiction, you make provisions for your flesh, don't you? If you've been there, you know how dark your mind is and how much you'll go to hide things so you can come back to them. You might confess just enough. Yeah, I struggle with this. Knowing you really still got some stuff against your chest that you haven't Fully let go of. Yeah, well, I can probably handle the Facebook thing. Or I can, you know, yeah, I can't, I can't just go to porn sites, but I can handle Instagram. No, no, make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. Get rid of it. Throw it all out there. This is where I struggle. I need to be done with it, right? We have to be radical about that. Cut it off. Throw it away so it doesn't lead us to hell. Listen, I'm, I'm confident we can help with the practical stuff. But if you won't step out of your darkness and let the light in, there won't be any help. Don't let this destroy your marriage, your personal life. Maybe you're not married yet. Man, I had the privilege just the way my life lined up in the season of ministry. I've got to do a lot of weddings and premarital. And I had to go back and do a lot of repair work with, with couples particularly where the dude was addicted to pornography for years and where the woman wasn't discipled well in God's idea of sex. You don't think it matters now? It does, man. Young guys wrestling with erectile dysfunction because of this mess. But you gotta be willing to step out.
I debated on how to handle this. What response do I put out here for y'all? I considered a few things. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go hang in this classroom. And um, you can come there. But I get it, you know, the tension of just stepping out now. I think there's power in it. But um, you need to call your community group leader. You need to call your your friends. You need to say, hey, I need help. I got to talk. Ladies, some of y'all might hear some hard confessions if your men obey the Lord here. You're going to be hurt, and that's right. You're justified in that. In conjunction with that pain and that anger, you also have a gospel opportunity to be like Jesus. Forgive, embrace, and walk with. Because if your man's confessing, that means he wants righteousness. Okay? I don't pretend it's going to be easy. A lot of resources for you to follow up with on the app. But, man, I'm, I'm here. My wife and I, we're open book. You got to make the first step. Okay, got to step into the light. So maybe your prayer today is you're praying for your kids. Maybe your response today is changing your approach as a family, getting, getting filters, getting software on as a family, committing to having some conversations. Study Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 and start talking about them with your kids. Like, maybe that's your response. But if you're caught in this, you're entangled in this, don't pretend you got it because you don't. It's going to eat you alive. But listen, Jesus is the answer. He's the one who ate that sin alive. He is the one who conquered the enemy, conquered the grave. So none of this will be effective if you are not in Jesus. If you haven't yet become a Christian today, your invitation is not to start fighting pornography. Your your invitation is to lay down your sin and come to the cross and be saved by Jesus, and he'll work out the rest of the stuff. We have to start there. There's no way, I think it's, man, I forget who, who wrote the, the sermon, the, the, the expository power of a, of a new affection, right? Unless we have a new and more powerful affection going into us, there's no way we battle a, um, a sin as entangling as this. So I think it's, let's end with Colossians. I think it's 3.5. Invites us just to look at the Lord and we're done. I know, I know we're long, but don't let that be a reason you don't respond today. Well, it's, it's in context of Colossians 3. It says, we, we set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are earth. If you've died, then your life is hid with Christ on high. Christ, when, when Christ appears, it'll all be put into glory. That, that's why we put to death what's, what's earthly in us. That's why we fight this sin. And how do we fight it? 2 Corinthians 3.18, I know that one for sure, says that we look at Jesus and we are transformed one degree of glory to another. So in conjunction with these resources and fighting accountability software, worship Jesus That's what breaks the chains. That's what allows us to be set free. We're going to do that now. We're going to worship. We have an opportunity to respond. Let's do that. God, help us. Help us to to not be dismissed by the the length of the service and where we're headed to go. Help us to not be dismissed uh, by no big deal. Help us to not overstate anything. Help us just to respond rightly to you this morning. Holy Spirit, come and do the work that you need to do in your people and cause us to respond. Set the captives free. We don't want anything less than freedom. You say who the sun sets free is free indeed. We want that, Lord. We want that. So come do that kind of work.
Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray.